All right. Hi, everybody. Oh, that was kind of weak. You guys know by now when I get up here, I need a little more energy, a little more feedback. Good morning. All right, that's a little bit better. I am Chris Dickens, youth pastor, minister, however you want to call it. Uh, it feels like it's been a little while since I've been up here. A, a long while. Too long. Thank you for that. Um, there's a lot of things that have been happening lately. And as we're talking about transitions, I feel like we need to talk a little bit about the transition in the youth, my transition, and who we're transitioning to. So there have been a lot of questions. A lot of people have been asking me a lot of things, and I just want to clear it all up and make sure that you guys know what's going on and kind of what the next steps are. So we had a parent meeting last week, which we went through kind of a long version. This is going to be more of a short version, but the long and short of it is, the thing that appealed to me about this job when I first applied back in 2015 was uh, the ad said, we're looking for people who are willing to work with the parents as well as the students. And since I happened to be at the time 36 years old and I had a junior high student, I thought, I can do that. That's me. It's talking to me. So um, one of the perks of being an older than average youth pastor is I can relate to and speak to the parents about some of the things that are going on in my home and their home, so we're all kind of on the same page. One of the downsides to being a 36, now 38-year-old youth pastor is I have more responsibility than most uh, 22, 23-year-old youth pastors in that I have three kids, I've got a bigger apartment, higher rent, bills to pay, right? So except for a short period last year, I've been pretty much uh, bivocational, where I work my full-time job and I work here at the church. I'm also going to school, which is a, kind of a one-night-a-week program, but it's just considered full-time. So full-time work, full-time school, plus church, plus kids, plus, 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 plus. In a word, and a wife, yes. I'm tired. <laughs> and it got harder and harder and harder and as much as I wanted to, to be here and do more and, and be more involved, my schedule and time and just commitments wouldn't really allow it. So earlier, probably late last year, I started thinking, man, I don't know how I'm going to make it another year. I'm exhausted. And right about that time, one of my favorite volunteers, Heather, who you all know and love, started bringing a certain somebody around. Now, Heather, when I first came here, asked me to start a young adults ministry. She said, there's nothing for people after they graduate high school. What can we do? So we started a young adults ministry, and Heather came, and a couple other people came. And one of the girls that found us and came said, hey, I have this friend named Jimmy, and I should bring him. Heather, I think you might like him. So Jimmy showed up to young adults, and we had a great time, and we all got along. And he had a whole lot in common with Heather, which was kind of crazy. And uh, I won't give you the whole story, but through some creative uh, planning, they ended up on a yogurt date together. I was supposed to be there, but I ducked out at the last minute. <clears throat> and here it is about a year and three or four months later, and they're engaged. <laughs> so as they became closer and started planning for the future, they became joined at the hip. And so when Heather would come to serve on Friday nights, which she's one of my most dynamic, most awesome volunteers, and I thank you for that, uh, Jimmy would show up. And I was like, sweet, I got another guy. You know, I had Chad, but Chad didn't come every week. Jimmy was there. Anytime Heather was there, Jimmy was there. <laughs> and so as I started thinking, man, I don't know how I can do this. What, how can I make this transition? 
this guy shows up. And I started praying about it. Lord, who, who could take over? And I was like, maybe Jimmy. So I asked him if he was comfortable preaching on a Friday, and he did, and it was great. And then we had the winter camp earlier this year, and he went without me, which was great. <laughs> so just he and Heather went and ran the whole winter camp. And after that camp, my son says to me, you know, I like Jimmy. I said, why is that? He goes, well, he's a good leader. I like the way he teaches and he gets along with us. And I thought, well, that's all the confirmation I need. Jimmy? <laughs> so, Jimmy, come on up. Uh-huh. And I think we should bring Heather up, too. What do you think? Since, since they've been joined at the hip and they're going to be joined forever, I think she should come up here. So... About January, I started thinking, what are we going to do? And then he went on the winter camp trip, and I thought, okay, this guy, he seems to be pretty involved. And I started picking his brain. Jimmy, what do you think about being the youth pastor? How do you feel? What do you think? And he was like, I don't know. And I started telling him, like, look, man, you got to get more hours. you got to do. So I started coaching him. Next thing you know, he's talking to Eric and Lee, and we all came to the same conclusion that Jimmy would be a great youth pastor and the next step for the youth. And since Heather's already there and they're joined at the hip, it all kind of made sense. So, so um, I want to give him a chance to talk a little bit about his vision and his plan and what they're going to do. And then we're going to pray for him because he officially starts on Thursday, June 1st. So we want to we pray for him and, and send him out full of the Holy Spirit to do the work that God has called him to do. So, Jimmy, tell us about your vision, and I'm going to step over here. All right. Yeah, well, thank you guys all so much for agreeing to this. I don't know if you did, <laughs> but um, we're here. Uh, I know you agreed to Heather, and so I figured, you know, she's a gem. And I am so happy to call her my fiance, soon to be wife. And um, 89 days. She got a countdown timer. It's pretty great. Um, a little bit of our vision is essentially, it starts off with when I was young, I had friends that would say, like, you know what, Christianity, that's a crutch. Like, I'm strong. I can do this on my own. And I would correct them. I'd be like, you know what, I think you're wrong. And they're like, what? And I'm like, Christianity is not a crutch. It's, it's a hospital. Um, and we at this hospital <laughs> focus on our health spiritually. Like, people who walk around and think that they can do it on their own, just they, they fade. They, they, they struggle. And it's in life that we walk together. And there's really no other way that we should do it. It's together. And ultimately we have the one doctor that heals us and eventually brings us to eternity with him. That's Jesus. We are excited to focus on not only the health of the individual students, which will be we'll just be taking care of them. Because, you know, ultimately we're a little bit older, so we've been around this hospital a little bit longer. You guys have been around hospitals a little bit longer than us. <laughs> so we come to you guys for, for advice, and we are going to pass it on to your kids, and we're so excited to do that. Um, I guess one thing that we wanted to throw out there is a, a date for um, summer camp. Which is the 26th to the 30th? That's what you wrote down. You want to say something about that? <laughs> Summer camp this year. We are going down to Mexico to the Wayman's place down there. And the goal for that is to create a space where we can connect and the kids can completely get away 
from social media and the world that they have here and just hear from God and just be around people who are telling them about God. So the dates for that are July 26th through the 30th, confirmed last night. (laughs) So put that on your calendars, and we'll be having a bake sale to fundraise for that sometime soon. Great. So with that, thank you so much, and we're going to pass it back to Chris. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to ask Eric and Pastor Lee to come on up. You guys come to the middle here, and we're going to go ahead. Yeah, I, I... This whole process has been one where it feels like God's hand has been on it, not only with the transition here, but as as Chris was going, man, you know, not only margin, but something that he's not sharing, and I'm just going to say it, is that God is placing some things in his life for future ministries, and we want to continue to pray towards that. And as we began talking about those things, I love the way that God laid on Lee's heart, on my heart, and Chris's heart, this same couple. And then it made it wonderful when they got engaged before we started talking to them about actually (laughs) taking the role. Um, And so I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that these are the two that God has raised up and said, now for this season, I want you to lead our kids as we continue to walk with them as they begin their journey as husband and wife. And so I just want to pray over them, and then we're going to pray over Chris as well. So Father God, I thank you for Jimmy and Heather. I thank you for the ways that you have uniquely guided them in their paths up to this point as individuals, and now as a couple, the ways that you are using this responsibility that you're entrusting to their care, not only to bless your children, but to strengthen and grow their faith. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide their steps, because apart from you, all of the most eloquent messages will fall on deaf ears. And apart from you, not a single person will be changed because at the end of the day, Jimmy and Heather are not called to transform lives. You are. They are simply called to point these kids to you and allow you to do the work. Father God, would you protect them? Would you set a hedge of protection and an army of angels around them and their marriage, around their families? And we pray that you would glorify yourself in them. And now we also want to just shift over here. And actually, Lee, I'm going to have you pray over Chris. Father, we thank you so much for Chris and for his ministry into our lives, how he has continued to remind us of your calling and of the excitement of choosing to live for you. And we ask for him that you will give him clear direction in relationship to the next step you have for his life in church planting, in church leadership, in whatever area that you have set aside for him, that you have called him to help him to respond clearly, to listen to your voice, and to follow your will. Lord, we place him in your hands now. We ask that your Holy Spirit might overwhelm him in every way that he can experience clarity and assurance that you will lead him to the place that he is to be. We thank you, Lord. As you do that even now, continue your work in his life and the lives of your people. We surrender you this day. Now, guide our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. All right, let's give him a hand. Jimmy and Heather. All right. So what's next for old Chris? I'll tell you. Um, in the process of figuring out my, Eric calls it margin, how much margin I have, and I call it bandwidth, you know, how much energy can I distribute to each different thing? I thought, well, if this isn't it, if we're not going to be here long term, what's the next step? And the next step that God has put on my heart has been church planting. 
And that process started 2013, but really started to pursue it at Rock Harbor in 2015 when I was part of their leader development program. And part of the reason, actually the primary reason I came here was to gain more ministry experience so that I could plant a church. And so the last year and a half here has been really helpful as far as helping me to see the behind the scenes and the inner workings of a church, because eventually I plan to plant and launch my own church. Well, it's not just me. I have a team with me, but... The, the idea is it's not going to be right now. People keep asking, where are you going? I'm not going anywhere, okay? This is my church. I'll be here uh, for a while, okay? My energy right now is mostly geared toward finishing school, which I'll be done in December, praise God. And then I can lean more toward the future, which is church planting. So uh, our tentative launch date schedule would be nice to do it Easter of next year which would be great. But uh, as we progress and we have more information, I'm happy to share with you. You guys are uh, part of my family and I want to share it with you and keep you posted. Right, Aiden? So uh, I don't have a whole lot to tell you right now because it's still in the planning stages, but uh, John Blue, who has a group called Mission OC, is a group that I teamed up with as far as uh, assessing my calling and tools and gifts and everything has been approved, and we're kind of going through that process. So there's going to be training, and there's going to be uh, some classes, some different things that we're going to do. And whenever we're ready, I'll be sure to tell you all about it, because I will definitely need your help, whether it's prayer, whether it's hugs, whether I need you to bake some scones. Where's Diane? <laughs> Nursery scones. Okay. Today. Is it good? Everybody good? All right, let's keep it rolling. Today we're talking about the book of Judges. And I call this, Who's the Boss? So what I want you to do is grab your Bibles or go to your YouVersion app, which I do every week. So the more you use it, the better I feel. (laughs) And go to Judges chapter 4. Today we're going to talk about Deborah, who's one of the judges, one of the Old Testament judges. But I want to give a little background first. You guys ready? God is good? Oh, okay. Some people, it's been a while. God is good. You say all the time. Ready? God is good. All All right, let's do it. Uh, Judges chapter one. Judges. Judges is like an action movie mixed with a soap opera. I'm serious. If you ever want some action, read the book of Judges because it's just it's combat. It's romance. It's love. It's fighting. It's takeovers. It's strategy. It's deception. It's like ninjas and super spies. Okay, there's a lot going on in the book of Judges. I say, look at Judges one one. It says. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who of us is to go up first to fight against the Canaanites? That's the first scripture in the entire book of Judges. Which one of us gets to fight first? Right? These guys can't wait to go kick some butt. Now, Eric talked last week about the transition from Moses to Joshua. Now we're in Judges. Joshua is dead. And the Israelites are left without a clear leader. Okay? Look at the last Scripture, Judges 21, 25, that's where we get the soap opera part where they say, in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. It sounds like a soap opera to me, right? You got fighting and you got everybody doing what feels good. If you feel good, do it. That's how most people act. That's how most people in this world behave. If it feels good, I'm going to do it, right? So if we had Moses who brought them out of Egypt... And then Joshua leads them into the promised land. Now, the Israelites are on their own. Well, they're they're not really on their own. They have God, but they feel like they're on their own because they don't have a clear and specific leader. So what is God doing here? 
I feel like God's giving the Israelites, giving his people, his children, an education. What do I mean by that? In the, in the lifespan of the people of Israel, they're, they're essentially teenagers. I know a thing or two about them. Teenagers that, that had a very, very rough childhood, okay? They had a hard time growing up, and now they've gotten to the place that they've been promised, and they're kind of on their own. And God has done what most parents do. You know how it is when you have a baby, and that baby is the focus of everything? You take 10,000 pictures a day. You take that baby everywhere. You hold that baby. You wear that baby, whether it's a sling or a, a baby Bjorn, whatever that thing is, right? It's with you everywhere. And then you get a toddler, and you're helicopter parenting, right? Where you're just, everything that baby does is adorable, hashtag baby, right? And you're just always on top of the baby. You're always watching over the baby. And anytime that baby gets anywhere near danger, you're like, nope, back over here, baby, right? Think about it. Exodus 13, 21, God is a pillar of, of cloud, a pillar of fire. He's with them everywhere. God is like a helicopter parent. And every time they mess up, he's saying, come back this way. Come back this way. No, no, no. Come back this way. So after a while in the, in, the, in, the, in the wilderness and now in the promised land, God is taking a step back. He's taking a step back and saying, okay, show me what you've learned. Show me that what I've taught you is in you. This is what we want, what I want for my son. This is what I wanted for your kids. This is what Jimmy wants and Heather wants for your kids. We want to give them the tools to develop and become who they are in Christ, but it has to be their own. We can't force them. I mean, you can drop them off here every Friday if you want to, but we can't force them to, to, to become Christ followers. We can't force them to pray or read their Bible. All we can do is give them the tools and hope they build it on their own. So God has given the Israelites the tools, and he backs off and says, okay, show me what you can do. So what happens? Well, like most teenagers, they screw it up. <laughs> I did. I don't know about you guys. I remember one time, I was, my, mom, my mom, she's not here this week, so I can say this. <clears throat> my mom is notorious, or was notorious, for making us late to school. She was always late, but she would do this thing where she'd wake up, we're about 10 minutes late, and she'd find something wrong. Chris, you didn't put away the cereal. See, that's why you're late. And I'm like, but as a, as a kid, you can't have no say. So my mom drives me to school, she drops me off, and I'm late. And I remember I was so angry, because I'm late again. And I get out of the car, and I start to walk away, and I'm cool, right? I'm like, man, I don't need my mom. I'm straight. And my mom's like, excuse me. And I turn around, I'm like, what? And she's holding my lunch. And I'm like, I was super cool five minutes ago, but now I got to go get my lunch from mommy, right? Or I remember when I joined the military, I was 17 years old. I joined the army. I'm getting out of here, mom. I don't need you. I'm going to go be in the army. Get out there, get injured, get sent home on a medical discharge. I come back, back home. I moved to Colorado to go to school. That didn't work out. I came back home. I went to Arizona. I thought I was going to be rich. I made a lot of money, and then I failed, and I came back home. So no matter what I did, three and four different times, I left home thinking I had it all figured out, but I kept coming back to mama. Anybody have a kid like that? Anybody have a kid like that that leaves and comes back and leaves and comes back and leaves and comes back, and you're just like, figure it out. Come on. And it makes you wonder, did I do the right thing? Did I teach him right? I tell Donovan all the time, don't be like me. Go to school. Get your degree. Do it the right way. And he's like, whatever, Dad. And I'm going, I'll see you soon. 
Because I see myself in him. I see somebody walking away thinking they're super cool, and I'm going, oh, you forgot your lunch. Or I'm on my own, Mom, I don't need you, and six months later coming back saying, Mama, can I come back? Because that was my experience. So what happens? They're not on their own. But remember what God told Joshua and the Israelites. He said, be strong and courageous. Eric talked about it last week. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the Lord God is with you wherever you go. But here they are, no leader, wondering what's going to happen, and they find themselves in a cycle. Just like me, walk away, come back, walk away, come back, walk away, come back. The Israelites are in a similar cycle. Now, we're going to talk about the story of Deborah today and maybe a little bit of Gideon, but because the stories and judges are so similar, they're all the same. Even, even if you look at it, this phrase, the Israelites did evil in God's eyes, happens like six or seven times. It's over and over and over again. The Israelites did evil in God's eyes. The Israelites did evil in God's eyes. The Israelites again did evil in God's eyes. So let's talk about the cycle of sin. It's in your program, Judges 2, 18 through 19. It says, whenever the Lord raised up a judge, a judge is like a, judge is like a governor or a leader, a temporary leader. So whenever God would raise up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as that judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to their ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. That's the book of Judges right there. That's the cliff notes. If you don't have time to read the whole thing, you just learned it right there. There's this cycle of sin. I'm going to give you the different steps to the cycle of sin. The first one is sin. These are false idols, idolatry. These are the things that... that God calls them not, no other gods before me. What do they do? They're worshiping other gods. They have idols. Then what happens? The Canaanites, the enemies come in and they, they overthrow them and they enslave them. So the second step is suffering. You're in sin, and as a result of that sin, you suffer. You're in suffering. So what happens once they've been suffering for a while? It's supplication. Supplication means to earnestly ask or beg so these guys, they sin, now they're suffering, and now they're begging, they're crying out for help, for deliverance. So what does God do? God brings up a judge, a savior. The next step in the cycle of sin is a savior. God raises up a judge and says, this person will save you. I heard your cry. And then what happens next is salvation. God delivers them. The, the judge comes in, saves the day, God delivers the Israelites, and they're good for a while. The last one is service. They serve the Lord. Oh, this is great. Remember that guy, God? Oh, he came. Yes. Whoo, 40 years we were enslaved by the Canaanites. We cried out. He brought up Deborah, Gideon, whomever, and now we're safe. Whoo, this God guy is all right. But over time, what happens again? The Israelites did evil in God's eyes. And then they're overthrown, and then they're suffering, and then they cry out for a Savior, and God sends one, and they're delivered, and they serve him, and everything's going great. Until they did evil in God's eyes. It's a cycle. Just like me going out and coming home, just like your teenagers going out and coming home, it's a cycle of sin. And we're going to talk about a specific story, Judges chapter 4. It is on page 172 of our Bibles here, if you're having one of those. If not, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. All right? Old Testament, Judges. Judges chapter 4. I'm going to read this. After Ehud, a previous judge, had died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. There it is, sin. 
So the Lord sold him into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Suffering, right? <clears throat> the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in blah, blah, blah. I don't know how to pronounce that. Because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. There's your supplication. Sin, suffering, supplication. All in the first three verses. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. So she is a judge. She is the governor. She's the leader. She is a prophetess, which means she hears the word of God and she rules based on what God is telling her, what he calls her to do. She, was, she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. And she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to the Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give them into your hand. This is the plan for salvation. Deborah's the savior. She's the ruler of all Israel. She's divine. She hears everything. She's a prophet. But she knows they've been suffering under the Canaanites. And this is now your chance. She had extraordinary knowledge and wisdom. She was instructed in the ways of, of the prophets and also to rule Israel. But the one thing she didn't do is she didn't run the military. She had this guy, Barak, who ran the military. And I'll give you a couple things. The name, the name significance. Barak means lightning flash. This guy was a bad dude. All right. Super fast, probably really strong. Barak was the man. So she calls him and says, hey, now is the time. We're going to go take these guys out. Action movie. Right. Here we go. So. Barak said, oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Tabor. Tabor means stronghold. The area she's telling him to go, the Mount of Tabor, is basically a reinforced, safe area. That's going to be important in a few minutes. So she's saying, let's go to this reinforced stronghold, and we're going to take out these guys with iron chariots. That's like me and you saying we're going to go take out tanks. All right? Iron was rare, guys. And to, to take out iron with rocks and sticks and whatever is a challenge. So to say that we're going to go take out 900 iron chariots is a pretty daunting task. But she says, we're going to lure him to this stronghold and we're going to overthrow him and all his chariots. Needless to say, I think Barak was a little bit skeptical. He says to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't. What does that mean? Is he afraid? Well, a lot of times they would take the thing they cherished most with them into battle. So it could have been that he was nervous. It could have been that he just wanted her beside him because she was the ruler. She was the prophetess. But either way, he says, uh-uh, I'm not going unless you come with me. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you, but because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. Ten thousand men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. So here we go. This is the action movie. Two sides, one guy, outmatched. Nine hundred chariots versus sticks and rocks, right? Let's get it on. <laughs> so... I'm going to keep going because there's something very important I want you to see here. The fact that she predicted victory, since they know who God is, the God of Israel, the God of, of, of Abraham and Isaac and Moses and Joshua that's brought them through all these things, there should have been no doubt in their minds that they would have victory. 
Barak still says, oh, I don't know, come with me. But here we go. This is the part that I really want you to get. Now Heber, oh, this is a little bit, hold on. Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the tree in Zananim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera and Barak, sons of Abinoam, had gone to Mount Tabor, Sisera gathered his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him from Harasheth, Hagoyim, to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go! This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor and followed by 10,000 men. Hold on. I want you to really get the visual here. These handful of guys have gone to this stronghold with oaks. It's a big mountain place. And down in the, the valley, in this thing, there's the Kishon River. So they're in this place with all these oak trees. They're safe. They're protected. And there's only a handful of them. And across the way are 900 chariots and thousands and thousands of men. So I want you to imagine for one second, there you are, standing, looking at the enemy. And then somebody says, go. You ready? Barak was. I'm going to tell you why. At Barak's advance, that's verse 15. Up to this point, nothing has happened. It's a standoff. Barak's on one side, Sisera's on the other side. By the way, the name Sisera means battle array. I don't think his mama named him that. But this guy was named for battle. So here we have our handful of guys here and 10,000 guys over here with 900 chariots. And he says, go. We're trusting God. He's trusting God that he's going to deliver. And he's standing there and they're going, Deborah says, this is it. Go. The most important part of this whole story, in my opinion, is verse 15. It says, at Barak's advance. That means when he moved, God moved. When he moved, something happened. He had faith that the promise of God of Israel through Deborah was going to come to pass. He was willing to put his life on the line and the life of his men. He left the stronghold to go fight these iron chariots. He had no chance of victory, but he had faith which is exactly what the Israelites lacked because they had this cycle of sin. We're going to talk next week about Samuel and Saul, how they wanted a king. The Israelites wanted a visual reminder. They didn't trust in the Lord the way that they should, the way that we should. Some of them did. And it says at Barak's advance, at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. What does that mean, routed? I'll tell you what it means. It means, the, the translation is that the Lord threw his army into confusion. Men and horses and chariots, all in a, a supernatural panic. So what happened? How did he do that? Judges 5 actually answers that question. 5, verse 20 and 21. And this is Deborah's victory song. From the heavens the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon. So what happened? This is what I think happened. Barak starts to move to come down away from this stronghold. And the heavens open. And there's rain down into this area. And maybe there's a flash flood. And all these chariots, these heavy iron chariots, are swept away in the river. Something happened. Something supernatural happened that swept these guys away, these 900 chariots, but it didn't happen until he moved. 
It didn't happen until he advanced. If Barak stood there and said, okay, God, I'm waiting on you, God was ready, but he had to take that step. Which is how, in this cycle of sin, we can be saved. You have to move. You have to believe. You have to trust. You have to step out on faith, as they like to say. So Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent of Jael. Jael means mountain goat. Not the hottest name. Any ladies here want to be referred to as mountain goat? Not me. Consider this was a a nomadic people, okay? They pitched tents. They had their their goats and everything. So this woman was, the women tent, in that day, the women placed the tents. They would hammer the stakes and Jael was strong, y'all. That's all I'm saying, okay? If you had spikes, you had to hammer it in the dry desert ground, you're probably going to be pretty strong. So Jael, mountain goat, went out to meet Sisera. I'm sorry, Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because they were friendly relations between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the clan of Heber, of Heber and the Kenite, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she put a covering over him. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened up a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If anyone comes by and asks, is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted, and she drove the peg through his temple into the ground. And he died. It's pretty matter of fact, right? Action movie, anyone? Think about it. The rain starts. These guys are caught in the mud and the muck. They're being swept away in the river. So these guys are abandoning their chariots. Barracks teams down there kicking all kinds of butt. Things are going great. Cicero's like, ah, I'm out of here. So he takes off running and goes to this one lady, mountain goat's tent, and is like, cover me up. But she doesn't just cover him up. Jael gets a spike. Right? The end. That's amazing. You don't think that's amazing? Hey, I think it's amazing. All right, hang on. Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him and said, Come, I will show you the man you're looking for. Gangster. Jael just goes out, she's like, What's up? I don't know, but that's pretty awesome to me, okay? <clears throat> So, she, so he went in with her, and there was Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. And on that day, God subdued Jabin, the Canaanite king, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the Canaanite king, until they destroyed him. And if you look at the end of chapter 5, it says, they had land, then the land had peace for 40 years. There's a cycle. Sin, suffering, supplication, Savior, salvation, and service. So here we have... Just like the prophecy said, the victory will be given to a woman, right? Well, she sure got the victory. So, who's the boss? In that story, who's the boss? Whenever you're in church, the right answer is God. I heard it over here. God! But God's not a boss. He's a leader. Can we get the picture? What's the difference between a boss and a leader? The boss says, go. The leader goes with you. A boss directs and orders. The leader goes with you and leads from the front. Military guys, you know what I'm talking about. 
You don't respect the NCO sits in his office in the air conditioning all day. You don't respect that guy. You respect the guy that's out there on the field PCing with you, road marching with you, right? We don't want that kind of God. That's not the God I serve. The God I serve is the one on the bottom who's the leader, who's right there with me. Because when Barak moved, God moved. When he took a step, God stepped. So when all the odds were against them, supernaturally it was revealed, it was done. So we all have our own cycles of sin. We all need a leader. Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2 says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That is who your leader is. And even if you don't see him, he's there. And when you're ready to move, he'll move. So even when the odds are against you and you feel like there's no way you can win, God is with you. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I actually told this story the first time I ever preached a sermon. Jenny might remember it. I got it in an email from my Uncle Steve, who's a Greek Orthodox priest. <clears throat> He's not my biological uncle. You can probably figure that out. But <laughs> there's a story. It's not, I don't think it's a real story, so just go with me. There's a tribe in South Africa, and they have this rite of passage for young men, kind of like my son. And they say, young man, if you want to be a man, you have to go through this rite of passage. You have to go into the forest and sit on this stump in the center of the forest, blindfolded. And you have to stay there all night. At the end of the night, if you can stay there till morning, you'll be a man. You'll be welcomed into the tribe as a man. Anybody heard this story before? Okay, cool. Lee's got it. A couple of you got it. All right. Don't ruin it. Okay. So this man leads his son out to the stump, and his son is nervous. He's shaking. He's quaking. You hear all the sounds of the forest. All this crazy stuff, bugs, crime and snakes. And he gets out there and his dad says, son, it is time. And he puts the blindfold on him and he sits him down. He says, stay here. And when you see first light, you can take off the blindfold and come back to the village. So he sits down and waits. And it's cold. And it's scary. Maybe there's bugs crawling on him. There's snakes crawling across his body. He hears animals. Maybe he hears growling in the corner. All these things are going on around him. And he's just thinking, okay, I'm going to be a man. I'm going to be a man. I'm going to be a man. And he's hanging on, and he's hanging on, and he's hanging on, and he's going, this is so crazy. Why is my village crazy? If something happens to me, I'm going to die. But he sits there, and he waits, and he's like, I'm going to be a man. 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 And finally, through the blindfold, he sees the first little bit of morning light. And he thinks, is it too soon? Should I wait? So he waits a little while longer, and he's, okay. He hears something getting closer. He doesn't know what's going on. He's feeling the bugs. He's freaking out. And finally, he sees the sun is nice and bright. And he rips off his blindfold, and he looks around, and there's his father sitting right next to him. He never left him. This is what God put on my heart to tell you this week. I never left you. Even when you're afraid. Even when you're in the darkness and you hear things or you feel things that scare you and make you you panicked and paranoid, even when the odds are against you, there's chariots and there's all these men, there's all these things, I'm with you. Go ahead, son. Go ahead, daughter, and just step. And just step. Maybe you identify with Deborah because you got it all figured out and you hear the Lord's voice. I hope so. Maybe you're Barak. Maybe you're really skilled at something, but you're a little nervous and you want a little bit of confirmation. Maybe you're his men that are like, I hope this works out. 
Maybe you're the guy in the forest going, I hope this works out. Somebody in here is going through their own cycle of sin. I'm willing to say that all of you are going through your own cycle of sin. There's something you're doing that leads you to suffering that makes you cry out for help. And God has already sent your Savior. You already have your salvation. So now what you got to do is serve. How do you break out of this cycle of sin? The first thing you got to do, you got to break down. I don't mean cry. I mean break down on your knees. Go to your war room. Go to your quiet space. Listen to your your Bible on tape, listen to praise music in the car, you break down. We know we need him. We know he's there. We take off the blindfold. He's right there. I got to go to him. The next step, you got to break bread. Now, eating itself is not going to help you, but accountability with other believers. If I'm struggling, I can call Eric. Eric, man, I'm having a hard time. Can we go to lunch? Gene, I'm struggling. Let's go to coffee. Steve Lazar, let's go paint something and have a pizza. (laughs) but we break bread we have this fellowship we have this accountability and the last thing to do is you break out you make the necessary changes to get out of the cycle because if you don't you're going to be like the israelites and keep going in this cycle in this cycle in this cycle for year after year after year we all sin we all fall short of the glory of god but the difference is we have the tools we have the leader Who's the boss? God is the boss. He's right here with you right now. All you got to do is step. All you got to do is step. So, some of you guys need to take a step today. Some of you need to be reminded that he's there. Or just need prayer to be reminded that he's there. So we're going to do, I think we're doing a, going to invite the band up. Pete, Andy. And we're going to do, I think we're going to take offering. We're going to have a short time of reflection. If anybody has a prayer request, needs prayer, we're going to have Eric and Kathy will probably be up here. Uh, where are my elders at? Elders? Tom's going to come on up. Randy will come on up. Maybe we'll have a couple people in the back. Where's uh, Byron's back there? If anybody needs prayer for anything, whatever you're going through, whatever is hurting you or makes you worried, if you're in that cycle and you need to break out, Break down. Break down and recognize who you serve. Recognize the God who is with you, the God who is leading you. He's not a boss. He is with you.